This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's a good day to talk about a hugely common medical problem because doctors south of the border are changing the way they diagnose hypertension. Here in Canada, we are already ahead of that curve, but given that a lot of blood pressure numbers are being thrown around today, let's go over it to avoid confusion. So the previous American guideline defined high blood pressure as 140 over 90, and that is now being cut back to 130 over 80. And uh, here in Canada, um, we cut back the guidelines two years ago, which means that if you were in that threshold, you would have been looked at and treated as though you had hypertension. Um, When the change happens in the United States, they expect uh, many, many thousands of people to be included in that envelope. And uh, the question is, what does that mean? What do you have to look for? Uh, and to go to all of that, we have Dr. Chiming Chow, who is the attending staff cardiologist at St. Michael's Hospital. Before we go to Dr. Chow, I'm going to give the numbers out again because he is here. If you have questions, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Dr. Chow, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hello, good afternoon. Okay, so first of all, um, these guidelines, how strict are they and what exactly does it mean, the guideline here in Canada? Yeah, so uh, basically south of the border, the American Heart Association set the guideline, uh, and there's a few other organizations actually in the state that does it, but uh, mainly the American Heart is the, is the main one that the government as well as the public health uh, follows. Uh, in Canada, the major organization uh, that uh, has the recommendation is actually Hypertension Canada, and uh, as you mentioned, you know, there's actually some discrepancy in the guideline, and uh, sometimes one country is ahead than the other, and I think this time the American American Heart Association recommendation is following up uh, with a uh, major trial on blood pressure that was actually going back a couple of years ago called the SPRINT trial, which actually uh, controlled the blood pressure much lower, and therefore uh, each of the uh, high, higher blood pressure, the systolic blood pressure is dropped from 140 to 130, and the diastolic blood pressure uh, is dropped from 90 to 80. So um, that was actually the sprint trial when it first came out was quite controversial because uh, it would be, it mean that more people uh, will be diagnosed of having hypertension and and also uh, more people will be controlled uh, with straighter numbers. With what? With straighter numbers, like the numbers will be much yeah. lower. Right. And th- has that been the guideline in Canada here for the last two years? One thirty over eighty. Well, it's, uh, we're still following uh, 140 over 90 as the cutoff, uh, but uh, I think, you know, the Canadian uh, colleagues are actually working on uh, 
uh, coming down uh, with, on that number as well, uh, based on the sprint trial uh, that is coming out. So be that as it may, I think most of us who are practicing, uh, we're looking at uh, uh, 120 over 70 is actually our treatment target. Uh, for most of us, if we base ourselves on sprint, uh, sprint trial, uh, if we look at the most uh, recent uh, recommendation just came out uh, within the last 24 hours, uh, our, uh, we try to get everybody to be below 130 over 80. And uh, before we were uh, working uh, with patients to have blood pressure less than 140 over 90. So, so those are all the numbers that we have in our mind. And for, for, for all intents of, uh, and purposes, uh, for most of our patients uh, who presented to uh, the family doctor with a blood pressure of over 130 over 80, then we'll start thinking about them having the possibility of hyperpressure at this point. And, uh, and then we try to uh, think about treating them if they have repeated blood pressure uh, that is at that level. Uh, okay, so it's, it's not a matter of one reading, correct? Well, yeah, our, our goal is actually um, um, when, when they come into our clinic, what we do is we try to sit them in a quiet room, and hopefully they haven't um, uh, consumed any coffee within the last two hours, and then uh, they have to sit down there for five minutes, and then we put the blood pressure cup on, on them, and then we measure at least three to five times. Uh, the most recent Canadian recommendation uh, is uh, to do it uh, when you're in the clinic, do it six times, and then uh, we take away the first one and average the last five. And for most people uh, in the family doctor's clinic, uh, we usually recommend the simplified method, which is three times. We get rid of the first one and then average the last two. And we recommend similar methods to be done at home as well. Okay, uh, so I'm just, I'm a little confused here. So in the past, uh, did you only treat people who had uh, 140 over 90, or have you already been treating people who were over 130 over 80? Yeah, so before, I mean, uh, before the American Heart Association guideline and, and uh, based on the current Canadian guideline, we're still uh, at the level of 140 over 80, uh, that's uh, above which then we start treating uh, but, uh, but with the latest recommendation and also the trial, uh, most of us who practice uh, uh, as a frontline clinicians, we, we actually uh, have much lower threshold. And with the uh, guideline that's relief, uh, released today, uh, then you know, we, um, we will probably, uh, as a group, move further down to 130 over 80. Okay, so yep. it's not there yet. Uh, I, I have to apologize because we did have uh, some incorrect information. I thought Canada had already moved the guideline down. So basically, what do you want to tell people uh, that if they have uh, blood pressure over 130 over 80 and it's been taken several times, uh, that do they need to see a specialist or can their family doctor start treating it? What's the situation? So our suggestion is that um, you know many people started off checking their blood pressure um, in one of the pharmacy, for example, because that's when they see the blood pressure cuff, and uh, when they're waiting for you know checking out or waiting for the medication. So um, so those are actually uh, good. It actually gives us a first screening uh, blood pressure. We recommend people uh, if they actually notice elevated blood pressure in 
those situations to talk to your family doctor, and then we will repeat uh, your uh, blood pressure at least one uh, or more than one time uh, to actually uh, see what your blood pressure is like in the office. And then there's actually a newer device that we recommend people to have. It's a 24-hour blood pressure monitor, and we keep them on for 24 hours, and then we can actually get a much better representation of your blood pressure continuously uh, while you're in the office as well as uh, when you are uh, at home. So we can have a much better idea what your blood pressure is like because sometimes we have patients whose blood pressure is normal in the office, but then it's abnormal at home. And also similarly, we have patients who are normal at home, but then abnormal at the office, which we call white coat hypertension. Well, that's right. I was going to ask about that because people get a little nervous. They're in the doctor's office and uh, you put the cuff on them and it makes their blood pressure go up. Yeah, so that's why we, we I mean, officially, and uh, uh, we, we're supposed to actually keep the patient in a quiet room uh, without us being there, and then we would take the blood pressure at least three times and sometimes up to six times uh, to average the blood pressure. And uh, often we would do it on both arms as well in our first visit to confirm uh, if there's any difference in the blood pressure in both arms as, as well as whether there's any uh, blood pressure um, uh, that is only elevated the first time. Because sometimes when you first settle in into the office, the blood pressure is a little bit up, and then uh, we will just measure them over time. The other thing is that we try to keep our patients in the chair with the feet, both feet on the ground and not crossed to, to have the best uh, uh, blood pressure. Otherwise, if you sit on the um, exam table, uh, it's quite high and your bank is not supported, then the blood pressure can go up as well. Okay, I'm going to give the numbers out again uh, for people who have questions. This is important. Uh, the guidelines for what is considered to be hypertension, which is a very common medical problem, which can lead to heart attacks, to strokes, other things, have, are going down. Uh, they have already gone down in the United States. So now, if you have blood pressure that is above 130 over 80, um, you've got to get yourself some treatment, figure it out. Uh, and I am on the line with Dr. Chiming Chow, and uh, he can answer your questions because this is an important thing. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Dr. Chow, how many people do you think uh, will suddenly be considered hypertensive as a result of these guideline changes? Oh, yeah, they did an estimation because when, when you change the diagnosis um, cutoff, often what happened was previously who was borderline hypertensive, now they're actually labeled as uh, people who have hypertension. So it's estimated in the United States, uh, formerly it was about 35% of the people uh, who have hyperpressure, and now uh, we're talking about close to like 50% of people wow. who actually be diagnosed with hypertension. 50% so again, of uh, people in what age of group? Adults. In, adults. Uh, in wow. U.S. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I just want to yeah, reiterate it's 32, well, actually, it, they publish as 31.9%, which is currently based on the 140 over 90 cutoff, and then it will go up to 45.6, which is very close to 50. Wow. Like and 46% of the U.S. adults. So it's basically count as 18 or above. And do you expect, uh, are the numbers going to be similar here in Canada? Well, it's, um, it's interesting because um, in, in Canada in general, as a group, our blood pressure is lower. Um, 
mainly driven by uh, there are lots more different ethnic groups which have uh, lower blood pressure, such as the Asians. Uh, we, uh, the Asians tend to have lower blood pressure, uh, and also the uh, in our particular uh, society in Canada, the people who have the highest blood pressure are people from the Afro-Caribbean background, right. as well as uh, uh, people from uh, the, the South Asian background. Um, those groups tend to have higher blood pressure. Um, part of it could be because of the weight, and part of it could be because of the consume, uh, consumption of food, which are high in sodium. So we have done, in Ontario, as well as heart and stroke, we have done stu some study uh, about uh, five or six years ago and uh, published in CMAJ that actually showed uh, those kind of data. So, but on the other hand, I think the overall blood pressure in Canada is actually, uh, in that particular study in Ontario, is actually much better than many other countries in the world. That, uh, that's, that's interesting because I know that on obesity measures, you know, we're, we're uh, pretty close to the U.S., yeah, but uh, still we are less, so, which is good because you can actually tell the difference when you travel between U.S. and Canada. Relatively speaking, uh, Canadians actually are less heavy. And also because of our healthcare system, most, uh, most Canadians actually have healthcare. So uh, the diagnosis of hyperpressure is, um, uh, is more uh, easy because uh, many patients do not have access in the States to doctors because of the insurance reason. And the other problem in the U.S. is many people have hyperpressure. They may not get treated, again, because of uh, the lack of universal health care. So when, when we studied um, Canadians, um, basically um, the uh, diagnosis uh, with less people are not uh, undiagnosed, meaning that most people who have hypertension are diagnosed. And then we have, uh, if they are diagnosed, have hypertension, uh, we are more likely to be treated. So, so that's actually a good uh, uh, kudos to our Canadian system okay. for that particular problem. Let's take a call from Sandra in Fergus. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Uh, I know my brother's listening, so this is his favorite question. Could, could the doctor please explain what the numbers indicate, the systolic and the, do and the diastolic? What do they measure? And I'll hang up and listen. Okay. Thank okay, you. Thank you for the question. It's a, it's a fantastic question. This is a, uh, whenever we talk about blood pressure, uh, we often use two numbers. Um, the higher number is called the systolic uh, blood pressure number. It's, when, it's the blood pressure that we record when the heart contracts. And then uh, the lower number is the diastolic blood pressure. It's the number that we record when the heart relaxes. So often when you go and have your blood pressure checked, there are two numbers. There's a higher number, it's the systolic blood pressure, and the lower number is diastolic blood pressure. There's been, over the years, there's been very interesting discussion in the medical field whether we should just stick with one number, which is actually the systolic number, and uh, we'll actually um, make it so much easier that everybody will just stick with one number and keep that in mind. Uh, but, but so far, um, there's some implication of the diastolic blood pressure, especially when it's too low uh, for people who have heart problems uh, or blockages, then uh, that's also um, concerning. Uh, and, uh, and also we have certain patients, uh, especially when they're young, uh, the first sign of having high blood pressure is actually an elevation of the lower number, which is uh, diastolic uh, hypertension. So, so still it's worthwhile knowing the lower number, but you have to remember one number for treatment purposes. Uh, systolic number is the one, or the higher number is the one to remember. So right now, um, I think um, the North American group is uh, going to move towards a, a more conservative number. I think of interest to mention um, some of the theory why people want to move to a lower number. It's sort of like speed limit. So if you ask people to drive at 
um, 60, you'll notice that most cars will drive at 70 <laughs> or below. <laughs> yes. And um, uh, yeah, within the medical field, what we are suggesting is that if you use a more conservative number, then it's more likely more people will be within the limits rather than, oh, yes, 130, oh, yeah, 140 is fine, or, or if it's 140, oh, yeah, 150 is fine. So if you bring it down to 130, then, you know, at least there's some margin uh, for people to be between 130 to 140 as far as control is concerned. Okay, let's uh, take a call from Dennis in Brampton. Hi, Dennis. Hi, hi, Libby, and thank you for taking my call. My question with respect to the guidelines, and I, I did read something that said the other change that's been made is that they have removed the guidelines for age-adjusting uh, the, the, those numbers. And so my question is, are, is that the case then that, for example, I am in my 70s, I do, take, uh, I do have hypertension, which is controlled, uh, but I know uh, my own position has allowed me to, to be higher rather than mm-hmm. lower. And so I'll leave that uh, and listen to your answer. Yep. Well, that's a fantastic question. You have read the uh, paper and the, uh, and the news release well. So indeed, uh, with the new recommendation in the U.S., um, they have removed the age uh, criteria. In Canadian recommendation, um, at least dating back to the last one uh, last year and the year before, uh, a new recommendation was induced for older people, uh, usually above 80, that we can actually go up to 150 uh, as a systolic number. Wow. That's actually based on one trial called the HIVET trial a while back. And, uh, but, but what happened is um, uh, for, for, for people older, it's much harder to bring the blood pressure down. So uh, it gives a little bit leeway and also give a bit of leeway of uh, people not to have um, side effects from the blood pressure medication. I think this is one point that is going to be debated within the Canadian community. We haven't changed that yet in Canada, but uh, we, do, we do actually debate quite heavily uh, about the sprint trial, which actually recommend to go down to 120 over 70 for, for everybody as the target. So again, you know, some kind of balance has to be striked uh, between um, uh, the age limit uh, as well as um, the, um, the more aggressive uh, measure, because obviously with more aggressive measure, more medication has to be used and more side effect could be resulted. So again, I, I think, you know, as we move along, the Canadians are going to look at the American um, recommendation and then make their own judgment on this one. Okay, I, I have a question here. So say you're now at the threshold, 130 over 80. Uh, are you going to get medication right away, or are, is your doctor going to tell you, look, at, you've got to modify your lifestyle, you've got to get active, you've got to eat healthy? Okay, this is a great question. Again, before we uh, start someone on medication, we aggressively talk to them about uh, using non-medical treatment or non-medicine treatment, so as to say. So uh, we, we usually... Um, uh, spend a lot of time talking to our patients and uh, sharing with them about what we call lifestyle management. So again, it's exactly what you said. So keep a very healthy weight uh, and uh, eat properly, in particular looking at the diet to reduce the amount of salt intake uh, because we, we do and that's a huge debate about whether salt actually makes a difference in blood pressure. But, but still, you know, there are patients who are salt sensitive, and uh, for those patients, it actually makes a big difference. So, but, but well, the two us- kind of go hand in hand because the big salt content isn't the salt that you put into your cooking at home. It's, it's, it's prepared foods, and those yeah. are usually the culprits. Exactly. Eating out is a, is a big one because, uh, you know, there's uh, definitely the food uh, prepared uh, outside your home is more salty. <laughs> and also, uh, like the, the 
pack, pre-packaged uh, dinner. Uh, I think way back when it's called TV dinner. Now it's called the Internet dinner, probably, oh. <laughs> <laughs> or streaming dinner. <laughs> now, l- let me ask you this. Uh, as a rough estimate, out of all your patients that you talk to about lifestyle, what percentage of them actually are able to change their lifestyle? Yeah, again, lifestyle is a, is a more challenging thing to do. Uh, we do um, encourage them and tell them about the consequences. Um, most of the patients, especially uh, the younger ones and, and the more active ones, uh, we have a better success. Uh, uh, for example, we start telling them, oh, now we have to start your medication. Then they say, okay, I'll do everything to prevent myself from taking medication. So often, you know, we, uh, we talk about uh, having a good exercise program, eating properly, maintaining a healthy weight, uh, stay away from salt. Um, and, and also one of the other interesting uh, discussion we also have is uh, we start asking, like, do they snore? So we, we often actually, if there's a spouse or partners around, we say, well, you know, does your partner actually snore? So the reason why we ask is that there's a lot of people who have undiagnosed uh, sleep apnea. So what we, what we do is we ask uh, them to say, well, look, you know, um, if you have sleep apnea, then actually that's one of the cause of hyperpressure. So that needs to be fixed before we, <laughs> we can give them a lot of medication, but if they have sleep apnea, it's not fixing the problem, then it's just um, not going to do well. So, we, so those patients need to be uh, diagnosed and treated properly. Okay. Uh, Joyce in Scarborough. Hi, Joyce. Hi. Um, I had quite high... Um uh, high blood pressure. I was on candesartan, mm-hmm. and uh, it didn't do anything. And I went to the naturopath college, and uh, Dr. Saunders there gave me, uh, which I take now, are herbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it so- sounds like wolfia something. Anyway, I take about eight or nine drops in the morning and in the evening. And guess what? It dropped my blood pressure dramatically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I I just thought when you said that they've changed it and now you have 50%, is that pharmaceutical driven or why have they changed it? Because I don't trust them. Hmm. So thank you for your question. Uh, these, these kind of reaction comes... Um, uh, quite often uh, for similar discussion in the in the field of uh, cholesterol uh, as well as uh, uh, sugar or for diabetes as well as blood pressure. So I mean um, uh, there are lots of pe- people who have a uh, uh, suspicion on these uh, uh, numbers and guidelines and whether there's uh, some coercions or putting people on more drugs. So th- these reactions are very uh, common and we have heard that uh, uh, over the years. And uh, I, I, um, and obviously, you know, I'm very happy that you, you, you find a good uh, natural path. And in this particular case, it works for you, which is great. And I mean, in, in our line of work, in terms of um, in the Western medicine, so as to say, which uh, is the uh, allopathic type of medicine, usually we base all our suggestion and recommendation uh, based on um, proper, properly con- conducted large-scale uh, clinical trials. So we, we look at the facts, look at the data, and um, the volume of data at this point uh, speaks to a lower blood pressure uh, uh, for uh, improved in benefits in terms of reduction of people with um, uh, heart problems as well as strokes, uh, as well as heart failure. So those are the goals that we try to prevent people from. So, so again, that's part of the reason why uh, many of the uh, national guidelines around the world are uh, looking at uh, lower numbers. But you know, uh, on the other hand, I think, you know, every country has to take their own population in mind and, and uh, make sure that, you know, um, you know every, 
uh, the, the, the healthcare community uh, as well as professional in their own um, country uh, are able to um, interpret that and use that properly. Yeah, and I have to say that, uh, you know, sometimes when people believe in, uh, and I put this in quotes, natural remedies, it's almost like a religion. And, uh, you know, um, uh, the medical system here, it works on, you know, Western science, and uh, and I don't think uh, conspiracy theories uh, are in order. Let's hear from Margaret in Kitchener. Hi, Margaret. Hello. Uh, Hello, Margaret. Yes, uh, I'm wondering, do you know just how involved the pharmaceutical companies are in lowering these uh, numbers? Oh, okay. So these are great questions. I, I don't know exactly how um, American Heart Association um, recommendation works uh, in the States. Uh, I am uh, aware and familiar with the group that actually developed these guidelines in Canada. And uh, usually the way it works is... Um, uh, they, um, all the people are like committee members. They have to disclose all the conflicts of interest, uh, as well as making sure that um, um, uh, they uh, and make sure that if there's any sponsorship, if at all, uh, is not um, uh, directly influencing any of the um, uh, outcome of the uh, guidelines. So I think you know the states is probably holding exactly the same ethical standards, and I think you know the, uh, these ethical standards that uh, most of the national organizations or professional organizations hold uh, is to exactly address the concern of the public that, that there may be undue influences of the pharmaceutical industry or device company affecting uh, how the guidelines are made. So again, you know, um, these, are, these are very good uh, questions as well as skepticism, but uh, I think fortunately in North America as well as uh, uh, in Western uh, societies, I think you know, we're very fortunate to have a uh, um, very strict guidelines um, to, making, to make sure that uh, people who make these guidelines or groups, uh, scientific groups or experts or scientists who make these guidelines uh, are um, staying away from the undue influences by the pharmaceutical industry. So. Uh, uh, okay, Dr. Chiming Chow, thank you so much for that. Uh, we're out of time on this segment. Very important discussion about uh, hypertension and people's health. Thank you very much. Thank you for the discussion. Okay. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about medical marijuana and all the hoopla to legalization. A lot of people say medical marijuana is being overlooked, and now a group, a large group of criminal lawyers are saying that uh, the new rules for testing sobriety on the road could unfairly uh, hit medical marijuana users. Uh, We'll tell you about that when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.